did I take a business hit? Yeah, definitely. But it, it, um, it just made more sense to me. And, and it, the longer I was in coaching, the more I felt like I have to give myself permission to work in the way that I'm thinking is the best way to work with people. Does that make sense? Like utilizing not just my intuition or insights, but I always would be learning. podcast where we peel back the bullcrap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. I created this podcast because I'm passionate about this profession. I love this work. I love my clients. It's not an easy profession in which to create a sustainable business that takes work. And even though I've been a professional coach for 15 years, the first few years of that were being paid to coach part-time while still doing corporate work. Um, Because of the work, time and energy required to become a masterful coach, which is the main ingredient to building a successful coaching business, many do fall by the wayside or simply fail to get their coaching businesses off the ground. Well, today's guest has been coaching professionally for two decades. And uh, as you'd expect from someone so seasoned, um, I notice how she shows up with astute wisdom. And uh, I've been admiring her as an established coach for quite some time. Yet, it seems, even after 20 years, this profession can throw us a curveball. So let's talk more. A very warm welcome. Thank you for joining me, Nikki Carpenter. Hello. Hi, Phil. Hello. Thank you. Could you share some little backstory? Really, what was it that got you in, into the coaching profession? Indeed, what? how did you come across the coaching profession and then make your way into that? Okay. Um, so my first career was in healthcare. I was a clinical nutritionist, So I was, but I was a manager. And um, we had a management training that had, um, like, we got certified to teach it as um, internal people. And I just found I loved the facilitation and training other leaders. And we, this course had like 19 modules. And one of them was on coaching, coaching for optimal performance. And so this is like, in the 1990s. <laughs> I'm really dating myself. But, um, <clears throat> and I just, I was passionate about that. And I was passionate about that as a leader was developing people. So uh, we went through a lot of changes in the organization I was working in. We merged two inner city hospitals in Denver. And I had a, my first son and I'd been in management for like eight years. And so it was opportunities came up through um, mergers and downsizing, et cetera. And I moved into doing management development part-time in healthcare. And then that organization, there were three hospitals merged, was bought by a for-profit chain and became six hospitals. And so my position grew and I was going to six different hospitals and me and some of the other people I had trained were delivering leadership training. And then I was downsized. They, were, they made a system and then they eliminated the system. And that happens a lot in organizations. 
And I went and I worked in another industry. And in the meantime, I had gotten my graduate degree. I, I knew that if I wanted to do management development, leadership development, that I needed to be um, trained in something besides nutrition. So I studied applied communication. And I loved that program because <clears throat> I really got to tailor it a lot to what I wanted to learn. And so coaching, there was some coaching skills in that program as well. And so I worked in another industry. It was a sales-based industry. It was a total culture shock after almost 20 years in healthcare for me. Um, but because of some of the turbulence I experienced in that organization, I got a coach. So this is like 1999. And I was like, this is it, you know, this is what I want to do. And so I went to my first coach training, which I studied with CTI, Coaches Training Institute, because they came to Denver. I mean, it was really, I knew I wanted to get coach training. Um, and I don't know how many people who are newer to coaching have any idea what it was like in that era of time. Like if you said, I'm a coach or I'm being trained to be a coach, people would say, oh, your son's soccer team? You know, I'll be like, what do you mean you're a coach? Like, there was no recognition of the profession. Um, and so um, I, I went to CTI. I, it, was, it was strange because there's just a lot of synchronistic events. It was in this organization. It really wasn't a great fit for me, but it had provided the impetus for me to go into coaching. And I got two phone calls from um, people I had worked with in healthcare. Um, one of them was in a new organization, and the other one was in the organization I was laid off from. And both of them wanted to create a job for me to come back and do management development. And I was like, you know, I got laid off from healthcare. I really, I really don't want to go back. I, but I said, I'm being trained to be a coach. You know how to do leadership training. I'll work for you, but I won't come back and be an employee. Mm. So I left my job after two years, and I had. Um, to clients, so to speak. And so I brought coaching to those two organizations. So, I mean, they had not really hired coaches before. They didn't really know much about it. I was learning and I was, like I see this in people that are becoming coaches now. You know, I was tigger about coaching. You know, like everybody should be a coach. I love coaching. Yeah. I, want, I just really wanted to spread the word on coaching. And I had people who believed in me because they knew me, they'd worked with me before. So, um, so that's kind of, that was in 2000 and that's how I started. That's how I got there. I just kept following, you know, even what I studied in graduate school was I looked at leadership and I thought leadership is communication. You know, I mean, yes, it's strategy and stuff, but it's all enacted through effective communication. Yeah. So you know, um, just a little bit intuitive, a little bit impulsive, um, but I followed my path and my, I, I always kind of had the head and heart going. So yes, I'm very heart centered, but having worked in healthcare, everything's about credentials. I mean, that's just the nature of healthcare. Have your clients primarily been in the healthcare of your, and now your clients, um, is there a mix of like individual clients rather than organizations? What is, what is just over, I mean, two decades is a long time to summarize. Perhaps. Yeah, it, it's varied. So when I first started out, um, I, you know, I coached back in the organization I had left and then I coached in healthcare and then 
really, you know, when you're a new coach, it's like if, if the person can fog a mirror, you'll coach them, you know, just to get experience and practice, you know, I mean, you see, you know, there's, you just got to get practice. So, um, but I think I also worked in some tech and, and I worked in um, the mining industry for a while. Because what I found would happen is when I would work with someone largely, so most of my clients have been for organizations. I think that's what you're asking me. But I've always had some private pay clients along the way too. You know, but it's been maybe 80-20. 80% being paid for by the employer. 20% being private pay. So, um <clears throat> So that's different too, right? I mean, that, I can talk more about that because I, I don't know what other people know about that, but that can bring in a different dynamic when the person being coached is not yeah. paying for the coaching. For sure. You know? And that's what I noticed. Like, wow, I am curious about that, dis- about that difference. And yeah. I've got a friend who primarily coaches within organizations and he comes across various issues, um, you know, around that. So I'd love, to, I'd, yeah, I would love to hear more, yeah. hear more about I that. I feel like I'm, I hit that issue pretty early on and I feel pretty um, good about how I structured that work. Do you know what I mean? Like I, because I had this, because I was bringing coaching to this one healthcare organization and I knew the person I was working for and there, you know, early on it became like, well, HR sometimes wants to know things that I considered were confidential, you know? Um, and so, um, I have, I found a resource called the executive coaching handbook that described how to set up relationships and contracts with clients and the organization in a way that the organization wants some accountability. They want to know, but that it still maintains the confidentiality of the client. You know, so I, I, I don't know if you want to go into that or not. I don't know if people care about that, but I, I kind of using their guidelines, I designed a process that I thought worked pretty well. And that allowed me to be really clear up front what I will and will not share. And also that created a structure such that the person being coached, their boss was involved. And the three of us would have a conversation and really say, okay, what are the hoped for results from coaching that the organization is looking for? And then in, and it would allow the boss to actually give the feedback they needed to give. In other words, I eliminated the boss coming to me and having me be the person telling my, the person I'm coaching what they need to work on. That came from the boss. So, and sometimes HR was involved. That got to be less and less. But there were times when it was a four-week conversation. And then I'd kind of, we'd come up with coaching outcomes. And I'd be really clear, this is the only thing that, we, that I'll be sharing about the coaching process. Otherwise, it's confidential. Um, and the client will be there. So we're not going to have a conversation about the client and they're not there. They're there. So I, because I, this, this um, one organization I was working with kind of had a culture around indirect communication. And I picked up early on, this is going to be a problem. I don't want to be in this position. And I don't, and the profession was so new that there wasn't a lot of clarity around some of that stuff, you know, and I knew some other colleagues who 
would say, I only coach the client and I never give any other information. And I said, you know, I'm not comfortable with that because the organization is paying for it. <laughs> you know, they are the payer. And so it worked pretty well. I've, I've done that process for 18 years, 15 years, something like that. They, nobody ever balks at it and it's very clear. And then, and then I meet with my, my client and I say, anything else you tell me that is not part of this agreement is 100% confidential. You know, so, um, so that's something that I have, um, that I'd be happy if anybody ever wants to talk about that or, or whatever to share how I did that. And so uh, there would be that initial conversation to kind of kick off the coaching and then the person and I would start coaching and then in my ideal package design, okay, you know, like a six month say gig. Um, then we'd have a midway conversation, me and the boss and the person I'm coaching, and then a wrap up. And then the, the great thing about that process was that the, um, it was a way for me to sort of get that leader involved, know what's going on in coaching, but also kind of hand the person back, so to speak. Do you know, it's kind of like, okay, you know what they've been working on. How are, how are the two of you going to carry through on the development? And um, you know, generally speaking, those would go really well. Um, Every once in a while, I get a leader who wouldn't want to give the feedback, or who'd then call me after the fact, or who'd say, "You know, I don't think this person knows that their job is on the line." And I'd be like, "Well, have you told them that?" Yeah, so I would really work hard to stay out of the triangulation situation, and I felt like I was not only developing the person being coached, but the leader, because sometimes coaches could be used to avoid difficult conversations you know okay we got this coach let's uh, oh, so i lost you i lost you for a couple of seconds there so yeah could you continue yeah. from there okay so in a difficult like in a situation where the client has a job challenge like mm -hmm. maybe they're giving coaching um, as a way to say we did everything we could for this person right. or um, because the boss doesn't quite know how to coach them on a, an issue. You know, in healthcare, this happens a lot. And I think it happens in other industries too. You promote your best technical performers. Your best ER nurse is not necessarily your best people person mm -hmm. or your best lab tech or your best your smartest neurosurgeon, you know what I mean? And so you end up having the leadership or the people development part. And so sometimes those are the people who's um, are having a rocky start to leadership and they get referred to coaching. So I've had that situation. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know if I'm going on a, a rabbit trail. Well, it's fascinating. There's, there's something I want to come back to in that, but I, I don't know if you've heard of, is it called the Peter principle where people basically get promoted to like one level above their level of zone of genius kind of thing. You know, you get, because you're yeah. so good at that level, then you get promoted and you stop getting promotions, rewarded with promotions, if you like, once you hit the position at which you're not yeah. at your best, which is kind of laughable really, isn't it? thing in that I, I wanted just to come back to Nikki um you said you know you had a, like a it didn't feel right to you having really what would be the client rather than let's say the the employer solely be your 
be your indeed be your client right so that that because i can imagine a scenario mm-hmm. where uh, okay my line manager has put me forward for coaching and i agree with him what the coaching's about and what the metrics might be he has no contact with you it's like and my only mm-hmm. report in fact i know somebody because somebody's come to mind who works this way and so the name's put forward like to the coach all the coach knows is like who has put their name forward and to report back, okay, our coaching's done. But can you just share a little bit more about like what, what would, what's missing from that? What's, what is difficult about that? Okay. Um, I mean, I've done that too. I've, mm-hmm. I've done that and I've had people pay for their work themselves, even though they're in an organization. Uh, there's a blind, there can be a blind spot in that kind of work because the person doesn't know how others perceive them in their leadership capacity. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, and I'm not saying I, w- I wouldn't do it, but in, so, you know, as coaches, we're so on the side of the client, but sometimes being on the side of the client means that we might be not seeing the shadow because we're both in the same light, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. and I came to the point where I said, I'm not ultimately serving you if I'm not seeing where you need to develop because I'm just being all for you, you know, and you're not, maybe not telling me or, or I don't know. I mean, there's things I don't know about myself that somebody could tell me. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It just like, we all have our, blind spots we all have things we don't always know the impact of um how we lead or how we act on others and so so i it's interesting you're asking that because i think there's so many times where i would challenge myself oh is the way i'm doing things of the best service because my nature would be to have harmony with my clients you know to have it feel good but sometimes i really had to develop much more of a backbone than what Nikki, the recovering people pleaser, <clears throat> always had. Do you know what I'm saying? To, yeah. to just really say it's not of service to you if we go along and we don't know the impact you're having. Um, so yeah. Yeah, so I makes... think you probably saw from my bio and stuff, like I've used different three, 360 degree feedback. <laughs> I can't even yeah. say it. How can she use it if she can't say it? But 360 <laughs> degree feedback instruments. And... and um, I'm really judicious in using those, um, probably more and more so as I've gone along. Um, but um, because they can be cha- very difficult to receive that kind of 360 feedback. Um, and especially in the last maybe eight years or so, I've done physicians are now getting coached more within organization. With, so the organization I've done a lot in over the 20 years is also affiliated with a medical school. And so it's got an academic co- component in this hospital. So these physicians are in leadership roles. It's, it's the most complex organizational structure. We'll probably lose people if I talk about it. But they work for the, for the medical school. They work for their own practice. And then they also have people they lead in that work for another hospital. So there's these very convoluted authority lines and they're increasingly finding that those leaders do well with leadership development coaching 
So I've worked with more of them. Now they're starting to develop their own internal resources. So this kind of leads to the whole thing of how things change so often in the course of a coaching career. <clears throat> so here I introduced a lot of coaching to several different organizations. Um, and then not only would you bring coaching, but I would bring different tools like um, the Herman Brain Dominance Instrument was a tool I really loved because I love the brain. I like to learn about the brain. And, and then the organization started using that, which gave me lots of opportunity to use it with teams. And of course, that's business building, et cetera. And then they love it and they decide to get their people certified. So now then that business goes because they've got internal people they're developing. And so then it becomes much harder to sell that instrument. So that so that's been an ongoing kind of shifting thing is that when I first started out 20 years ago, a lot of organizations relied on external people to coach, external people to bring in tools and processes, team building, facilitation services. And then as they found they liked them, they decided they would build their own internal team to do to use those same tools so then there you are then i here i am again going oh wow you know i really love using this instrument but i either need to go sell it to other organizations but the same thing happens in those organizations they have their own internal people using that so it really has been a series of things beyond my control that would affect the kind of work i was doing at any given time and you know you invest in yourself in those tools just like I've taken a ton of 3p training you know um, and other things and and it's happened to me quite a few times so they mm -hmm. matter of fact one of the people I worked for in this one healthcare organization said you know your DNA is all over this organization <laughs> and I'm like it, my DNA is all over that organization but my work has steadily gone down there because I bring something to them, they love it, they get engaged with it, and then my work goes down, right? Which, you know, it's okay. I mean, I don't know. I guess I, I maybe I'm, I'm altruistic in a certain way, so that seems okay to me, but certainly it's that, um, I don't know. I posted it on Facebook one time. It's kind of living in an evolutionary spirit. Yeah. is to like live oh, yeah. with full engagement and then mm. to let go and evolve. And, and that's what I've seen my career do a lot because early into it, we had 9-11. Mm -hmm. And, yes. you know, yeah. so almost, although because I worked in healthcare, it was a little less impacted because I worked in healthcare and we were, you know, so now, right now, healthcare is very impacted. People don't realize that, but they are not doing optional things. Mm -hmm. A lot of their revenues comes from outpatient surgeries, um, office visits. Yeah. So the profits have gone down. And so, yeah. So I'd like to come so, back to that. I'd like to come back to that. But yeah. You know, so, so I think that piece around, you know, from the question that I asked you, so I can see it's like, oh, that makes complete sense. Like I, I could come to you and perceive myself as like, oh, I'm a round peg trying to get in, trying to fit into a square hole of an organization here. And there's resistance there, but it would, of course it would be useful to understand that actually no, the hole is round and you are you are essentially the square peg or or whatever like analogy we want to use there it kind of it makes sense really to to at least have some understanding and vision of of the hole as well as the peg kind of thing yeah <laughs> yeah you yeah. you you mentioned there nikki um 
the three principles. I'd love to know what's your story um, of the principles. Like, how did you come across them, and you know, where where did they where do they fit your understanding of them? Where do they fit into your coaching career, and what was the impact of that? Okay. Well, I I think I mentioned I had two waves. The first was really early on. I read Joseph Bailey and Richard Carlson's book, Slowing Down to the Speed of Life, which I loved that book. And the two things that really sunk into me about that were the speed of life, just that word, the speed of life. And I found that I resonated with that. I just trusted that. Yeah, I'm at the speed of life. I'm watching everybody else kind of go really fast around me, but I always kind of maintained that. And then the other was the idea of separate realities based on our thinking. And so, but to say that I incorporated it into my work in coaching, I kept reading Joseph Bailey, going back to him. I read all of it. Richard Carlson, I really understood how the nature of our thinking, and I always had an inside-out orientation, I, not in the way we refer to. I always just felt like, as leaders, we're expressing our souls, we're, you know, or we should, that's how I wanted it to be. It's not always how it is, but, so that was in like 2000. It was pretty early on, um, but I didn't really build my coaching work deliberately around the principles. They weren't even called the principles then. They were called psychology of mind. And I looked into training, which is really ironic, but it was, um, I had little kids and that wasn't going to work. And also it seemed really oriented towards therapists from when I looked into it. And I was really clear I'm a, I'm a coach, right? I'm not a therapist. So that didn't, that kind of faded. But then I came across the principles again in 2014. And I came across the principles and I came across ACT, acceptance and commitment training. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's a form of therapy, but it's also a form, they apply it to everything. And so I was learning both those two in depth. Um, and uh, that's kind of how I got to the principles. So I have those two in a way I find them very simpatico because ACT has a lot to do with no matter what you're thinking, act on your values. Mm. And the principles is really, I don't know, and I could go into that, but I, to me, those two really affected my practice about six years ago. And that's when I started to, you know, share them more with clients. And um, also, I think about maybe a year before that, I, I would, was partnering with other people along the road. You know, like maybe they'd hire me and maybe I'd hire them. At one point I hired like four people to do a bigger coaching project. And then I got hired by somebody else and then people would contact me. And, you know, my colleague friends call me Nickopedia because I read a lot and I always have resources. <laughs> but uh, so I, you know, people came to me to work with me and stuff like that. And I decided about six years ago, I didn't, I didn't want to keep doing that because I felt like I couldn't hear myself. I couldn't, I don't know, I couldn't hear my inner voice of a coach and work the way I wanted to work because I was always compromising. I, I would easily, creatively find a way to make things work with people, even when I didn't want to work in that way. Like, that's my dysfunction or something, you know what I mean? Like, be like oh, okay, well, I could see how we could do and so I just decided, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. Did I take a business hit? Yeah, definitely. But it, it, um, it just made more sense to me. And, and it 
the longer I was in coaching, the more I felt like I have to give myself permission to work in the way that I'm thinking is the best way to work with people. Does that make sense? Like yeah. utilizing not just my intuition or insights, but I always would be learning. Like I read all the time. I don't even want to turn this camera to show you the stack of books on the end of this table. But um, so that's, I don't know if I answered your question the right way, but um, yeah, I really, uh, so that's how I came across the principles. And then I started taking all kinds of principle training as is the, um, we call it here, there's kind of a local Denver group that gets together, Denver and Boulder, we get together. I don't go that much, but periodically, but we call it the frothing at the mouth stage. When somebody first comes to the principles and then they start taking every training and every webinar and <laughs> standing there, oh, and reading every book and that kind of, so I read all the books and, and did all of that and was really trying to figure out how am I gonna incorporate this into coaching because I, could, I really saw the benefits. Um, and I have really, and you know, I know there's coach trainings that, that I think are principles based, but I, also, but I felt like, um, you know, I'm ICF certified. I've been ICF certified since the early 2000s. So of course I have to always get continuing education. I thought, I don't think I need another coach training program. You know, so I, so I've kind of, um, I guess I've gotten to the point now where it really is up to what the client wants. And obviously we all, we all think the principles fit with everything, right? <laughs> no matter what the client needs, they need to understand the principles. I mean, I, I get that. Um, but I just more intuitively bring it in in a way that I think will work for them or not. And I had to let go of the attachment that I was going to share this with everyone and rescue everyone with it. Because I really, I was yeah. really there. I was really there. And um, I, I realized that a lot of how I see the principles being shared is not what I would call coaching. It's more teaching, it's more mentoring, and it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's, you know, but it, I felt like I don't want to, here I am talking about myself for an hour, but I don't really want to be talking about myself all day with clients. I just, I'm, I was too used to, I mean, I'm not saying I'm impersonal with my clients, because I'm not. As a matter of fact, because I've coached fairly um, educated, technical people, I make it a deliberate point to connect with them personally because many of them need to know how to do that and don't know how to do that. Does that make any sense? Like, like a geophysicist or an engineer that I've coached or um, double D's, I call them PhD MDs, you know, who may not have social skills or are highly introverted or, you know, whatever. Like I, I'm deliberate in, trying to bring a little bit of humanity in, but it's not trying to tell them a story, hoping they'll get an insight. Hmm. And that was a part of it that I, I found, I don't know, I guess I like being a little more explicit. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, there's something, there's an analogy I use, like, um, like if I was coaching you to, to help you build an airplane, I, you would need to, to understand more than just the principles of flight. There would be a lot more to that. And I think life's like that. And of course, 
that's fundamental and when you like when you understand the principles of flight then understanding how the airplane flies and 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 what have you becomes much clearer and perhaps then easier um you know that understanding is is gosh it's 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 incredible of course in that and i think you know the same applies in um anything to do with like peak performance anything to do with you know our we we <laughs> with our humanity right and with our humanness so mm. i think um you know helping helping people understand where their experience is really coming from of course that's you know immeasurably valuable and yet i i think yes of course there's i think there's much more available <laughs> There's much more on offer from a coaching relationship rather than just that. I had a session with a client yesterday and, you know, it's beautiful working with him because sometimes we will dive into the real deep, perhaps uh, the psychology of what's going on in, in our lives. And yesterday we had like this really practical, super practical session about what's going on with some mm-hmm. stuff in his business. And it was like 45 minutes of really like just bouncing around some ideas and whatever, super practical stuff. So I'm all in on all of it, all in on all of life. And I think it's, it's, it, for me, yes, it's beautiful to have perhaps that understanding of where our, the nature of our experience of life. It's beautiful to have that as a foundation, but of course there's so much more for us to play with. Yeah. And I also found because I have, I mean, have been in such a sciencey environments mm-hmm. that, um, I almost felt like I was trying to convey beliefs. Like mm-hmm. I have skeptical, you know, like I, I use, so I used heart math way back. It's getting popular, really hot right now. But I mean, I came across in the 2000s. I was, tr- I wanted to introduce it there and I did. And I remember introducing it to this one physician. I coached her in two waves early and then she came back to me a few years later and um, she just looked at me like I was a nutball. So I kind of dropped it. But then the adjacent, the um, academic organization, hospital that she's affiliated with, started using it about three or four years ago. And she was all in. And so, like, I guess the time had to be right. But see, that's a challenge that I have faced with the principles was that, you know, it is a spiritual understanding. And a lot of people aren't coming to me for a spiritual understanding. Do you know what I'm saying? And there is a business contract with a coach. So, so I think that's actually something that I've gone back and forth with around, okay, are you going to say you're this kind of coach and these, this is the way you work with people or are you a coach who has a broader bandwidth and you can work with a a bunch of different people. I don't know if I'm, I'm making sense, but I, yeah, but it's yeah. kind of like, you know, some people will say, well, I'm, I'm a coach to um, parents who want to, I don't know, live a balanced life or I'm a coach to like, I could do that even with, I'm a coach to physicians who do research and have leadership and academic roles, you know, whatever. I was kind of but, curious, um, how would you, if I asked you, you know, if I bumped into you or met you at a dinner or networking meeting, whatever, and I'm like, hi, Nikki, so everybody else, so, so what do you do? What would be your response to that question? Well, it took me a long time to utter the word, but I would say I'm an executive coach. Mm-hmm. I, I, something about that word. I, I mean, truly it's leadership, but in, it's known as executive coaching, but it took me a long time to say that word. And I just people wanna, immediately think C-suite I read only. Back. 
like this is a subject yeah. that, that a lot of coaches talk about and have a lot of thinking about and you know i'll encourage people to just to perhaps talking to if, if you've got a lot of thinking about it then talk in terms of you know you taking i i take people who are this to there like talk in terms of mm -hmm. what the client wants and where they want to go and you, you help people go from a to b but you are sitting there in front of me because people can't listen to this can't see this like there's like there's nothing going on in answering to that question it's like yeah well i'm an executive coach and 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 that's that's kind of it you know it's like there's a i can see with you that there's a there's a real ease with that there's none of that resistance and, and whatever going on well it only took about 12 years to get there but anyway <laughs> yeah i mean i think what you know what finally prompted me was that i was hiring people or seeing other people in that organization or in other organizations who had less credentials and less education and they they were just coming right in and saying you know i i coach c-suite or i well and i finally was just like nikki you know it's just a fact yeah get over yourself you know you coach this this is what you do and that's you know and and then the other one is getting your fees to be um which you know, I don't know how, how they are now, how I've kept up or whatever, but there came a point where I really had to cross that bridge and just look and say, there's people that are, have less credentials than you or less. And, and, you know, I know that doesn't necessarily matter in the 3P community, but it mattered in the communities I coached in. For this all is a question years. I wanted to yeah. ask you. It was like my, literally my yeah. next question was, I'm not after okay. numbers. I'm not after numbers here. So just share whatever you want, but really not after numbers, but I would love to know, the question was basically, Nikki, how, how do you come up with your fees? Because, you know, oh, that's, okay. again, yeah. that's something that a lot of coaches, again, have a lot of thinking about and a lot of comparison about and a lot of making it about themselves. So, you know, I wonder what, could yeah. you speak to that? Could you speak to that subject a little bit? Well, I think that um, some of it is you kind of have to trickly know what other people are charging in your industry and in your geography because i know that this came up with like dominic and one group that we were in at one point and dominic's on the east coast and i'm you know in the i don't know rocky mountain west and in denver and in healthcare and healthcare pays less than some other industries so you kind of have to figure out what other people are charging but you know you can't price that right so peers will share that a little bit um I've had, I had one organization, like I had done some work in a mining industry for a while, um, and they actually, I did a proposal for them, and, and they said, you need to raise your rates. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> how much, you know, how high? You know, um, so that was in just interesting. And, and so hourly rate, I think, would be meaningless to tell you because what I, would, what I would encourage people to do is find out what's going on in the industries you coach in and in the geography you're in because I could give you a number and it could be too high or too low and you're going to yeah. shoot yourself yeah. in the foot. Yeah. But I will, what I do think is interesting to talk about is doing proposals and creating packages, you know, that which I don't know. I don't know how much people, you know, know about that, but I think, you know, like I'd be asked to do a proposal and maybe one person I did quite a bit of work for, she'd have me do like three different proposals at three different price points. You're like, okay. 
So I had to figure out how to do those, which I really don't enjoy that. But I did get to a point where I, I'd say kind of based on what the client needs, these are some tentative proposals. And my thing is, I really don't want to work with people for less than three months, you know, in an organization in mm -hmm. leadership. But I, I feel like coaching is getting to where it's shorter and shorter duration. Um, and yet I was just coaching a physician till the pandemic. And I had been working him for, with him for like a year and a half. And I'm pretty sure I would have been working for him, with him for another um, six months because mm -hmm. I know where his career trajectory is going and I'm pretty sure he would have wanted support for that time. So um, I don't know. I, I'm, it might have to do with the way I work. It's kind of just, it's foundational. And then we go into their what they want to do. Like I do a discovery process and we do work around values and their vision and, you know, it, and then it, then it's really up to them. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and I, when I talk to other coaches, um, what I suggest is, is having that exploration and, and really doing what is of most service to the client. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really yeah. Just, just coming from that place. Yeah. And, um, the now the discovery I do with them, I don't make it an option. I say this is part of the way I work. We do this two hour, one and a half hour discovery session, and it's the foundation. And it, I get to know them so well, and they get to know me so well that it keeps coming back the things we discover in that, you know, like, well, remember, and part of what I do in that is I ask a lot of questions to rule out Nikki, like, let's get her assumptions out of here. Okay. Mm. So I want to know how you learn. I want to know if you've had a coach before and what worked and what didn't work. And I want you to be able to articulate that to me, you know, this don't be prescriptive with me. Don't, you know, or whatever. A lot of times people haven't had a coach. But I'll even say a coach or a therapist, what did or didn't work. And, um, you know, but it gives them a chance to say that stuff. Um, you know, how do you like to learn? And I go through some specific things because Nikki likes to read and she used to give a lot of book recommendations early on and then found, well, wait a minute, maybe this isn't how they want to learn. So it's kind of like realizing that people like coach are not, this is a William Bridges, I don't know if you know who he is, but. He, he said, um, he, he said, well, I tended to think everybody was versions of me with only with defects, you know? And so by finding out like, okay, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think early on uh, a client said to me, Nikki, I've got five books you've recommended on my nightstand. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, I got to stop that. That's, that may be how I learn. That may be what I would want, but other people don't. And so people will tell you things like, I like role play. I, I don't want books or I like to listen to books on tape or I like to just talk about it, brainstorm. And it, it just, it's designing the alliance is what CTI called it. But um, I find it really helpful. And um, they, they, they comment that they really enjoyed that part, you know, and I don't know, maybe that's what people do. And I've never had a 3P intensive. I've, observed one in one training I took but so I don't know like I don't even know your 3p background like how you see now I'll start because I'm a coach I can start interviewing you midway <laughs>
Yeah, well, just very briefly, since you asked, and this is the, I, I like these, this to be conversational. Since you asked, I was reading Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Coffey in 2003. I was on holiday in Sharm El Sheikh in Egypt, and I came across a line in that book, which is incorrectly often attributed to Viktor Frankl, because it says something like, between stimulus and response, there's a gap, and in that gap lies your ultimate freedom, something like that. But just in that mm. moment, I dropped the book because I thought, holy moly, I'm creating my entire experience of life. I just saw that so clearly in that moment. And so that that was life-changing, that moment, dropping that book. I, I, I do refer to that as my drop the book moment. And that was 2003. Came across like the principles via, I used to listen to Michael Neal's radio show on Hay House. And I think he, I think that's, he started, referring to an inside out understanding around about 2007 2008 even as perhaps perhaps later than that i'm not entirely sure but it is that's but because i after that 2003 and i'd already felt like yeah we're part of something bigger or indeed we are something bigger so like that kind of covered off what in the 3p terms like thought and and mind um so Coming across the principles when I explicitly did, which I think was probably Jack Pransky's book, Somebody Should Have Told Us, mm -hmm. as well as some Michael Neal programs, there wasn't a big slap in the face. I'd already had my wake up, right? Yeah. But what, what the principles did, coming across the principles, was they're really a really beautiful way of articulating that understanding. So then I felt much more, um, I guess, at ease in, in talking about it. Um, but again, kind of like you, I've gone through that stage of like, yeah, it's all about the, it's all about the principle. This is all you need to know. Everything that you, <laughs> everything that goes on in life, it's all about this. And I still bump into, in fact, just this stuff going on in my life right now. I've had a, um, I've had a few of those real wake up insights where your worldview changed. I've, I've, I had one. Like there's that drop the book moment, 2003. I had one at the end of 2017 in a conversation with Dick and Bedinger, as it happens. And then I had another conversation with Dick and, uh, uh, a, a couple of months ago, actually, and saw, again, something new and something deeper, which I can't describe without using the same words of how I would have described it before the insight. That, that's kind of funny. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm still very much... Somebody described me recently as a real advocate of the joy of life like let's immerse ourselves mm -hmm. in it and celebrate life so i'm like i'm all in so yeah i think the principles for me it's it's been an emergence i guess there was that drop the book moment and then emergence yeah yeah well i think what the principles helped me with was that if you would have asked me to describe myself before my sort of immersion in them six years ago i would have said i was insightful I'd go on walks, I'd have insights. I had insights when I was a kid, I had insights when I was in, I never thought that was anything special. As a matter of fact, what happened a lot is because probably of my sort of background in healthcare and trying to be sciencey as someone who's loves science but is probably not innately um, geared towards it in a way. I mean, I would, I would go with intuition and insights, right? As, as I naturally am. Mm -hmm. But then I had this, all this science training, and so I'd have to go get data. So what would happen, I'd have an insight, and then I'd be like, I gotta find a book. So okay, I'll give you a, a topic where that happened a lot. I, would, I see paradox easily 
polarities they're called. I mean, anytime you get to really following something to a true point, you see that the opposite is there too, you know? Yes. And then, so I went like and investigated it. And there's all these books that are out on polarity management. You see that a lot in organizations and paradox. And But if I had just seen, just taken my own insight as being valid, I would just say, well, the organizations have all kinds of polarities. So they need to manage them. But there's a guy who's done all kind of kinds of work on that. And so that was always my process. And after I understood the principles, I don't feel I need to research every insight I have anymore. I'm, I can just be like, okay, like you just got a gift and you know, you don't have to doubt it and then find validity for it. You can just take it. Yeah. I love that. Oh, Nikki, I could talk to you all day. I mean, really, there's a couple more, <laughs> a couple more questions for you, really. So it sounds very stereotypical, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to ask it anyway. Like if you, I'm curious. So part, there's two parts, but it's kind of the same question. Um, I'd love to know how, if you reflect on 20 years, how, how you've mm. changed, how you've evolved as a coach. And mm. also what, what, it's, it's always kind of a, it's a silly question in a way, because, you know, as, as I've been reminded numerous times, well, you couldn't do anything differently because you were just, you know, all you had was that thinking and understanding at the time, mm. but, but, yeah. you know, that's starting out those first year or two. And if you're, if there's people listening to this who want to work in organizations, like what would be your message to them? I'm wondering what, what might you do different or indeed perhaps you would do everything the same when you were starting mm -hmm. out and working into organizations. Well, I have been reflecting a lot the last year. It's my Elton John year, you know, like <laughs> whatever <laughs> victory tour. No, um, I've been, I, I guess there's, I think early on I had a lot of thinking like I need to make things work for the client, you know, so it took me a while to get my strength to really have that. Um, like I had to learn to, to trust my power of discernment around people because I, I guess just coming, I, I had clients take advantage of me at times where I had the gut that this person is trying to, you know, utilize me in a way that is to their advantage, right? Because they knew I was an eager beaver. Like I was enthused. I, I loved the work. I wanted to do the work. You want to get work, right? I mean, you're, you're starting out your business and you want to thrive and you want to be able to do the work. And so I would have listened to that more. Um, and I don't know, maybe I needed to experience my way towards my strength or just because I, I remember colleagues telling me you're, you're so knowledgeable and all you need is the experience, you know, well, how do you, that was a, that's a quagmire, you know, okay. You, I know what I'm doing, but I don't have the experience. So I had to get the experience. Do you see what I'm mm, saying? So I yeah, guess it would just yeah. be to, and I feel like, you know, things are very different now. If, if there's one thing I had would tell people is, you don't know how lucky you are that people know what coaching is now. Mm -hmm. It's, it's because of some of us, yeah. you know, that <laughs> literally, you know, it's be in, I mean, I don't, I don't, to me, it's not my business if someone gets ICF certification. Um, it's not my concern. It, it's very helpful if people have training because you get a lot of feedback and you get better as a coach. 
I don't, I don't care about that, but just recognize that because of ICF and other organizations, people recognize what coaches do. Mm. I mean, you know, they do. Um, but, um, yeah, I've been called old school in the 3P community. I'm like, oh, wah, wah. <laughs> so what? Yeah, really? So what? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but um, hopefully this hasn't been too meandering. That's kind of one of the dangers if you talk. Uh, there's so much in here, Nikki, honestly. It's just, this is gold. There's so much gold in here. I'm so so grateful for you. We've alluded to this a couple of times. You certainly okay. alluded to it. and. Um, and you know, I I mentioned it like in the in the intro. So just right, bring us right up to date. Like, what's going on now? I mentioned right. So even after twenty years, you can be thrown yeah. a curveball, and you've made reference to the pandemic, the current pandemic that we find ourselves right. in. Right. Yeah. So yeah, just give us another. Yeah. Like, what's gone on with that, and and what's been the impact on your business for that? Okay. Um, well. So I typically, around the holidays, I kind of take a sabbatical and I, I come back to town, right? I, my clients are used to it and it's a good time to, um, we go skiing and stuff for like a month. But I mean, I come back and, um, you know, my business is slow and then it usually ramps back up to where I want it to be. So I'm not trying to be um, smashed with work. I have other things I like to do at this stage in my career. Uh, And, but what has happened is because I was primarily working in healthcare and had completed a few, you know, some of my clients in the fall, um, I don't have any work. And um, I had just completed another um, deep, it's called deep coaching. I did a deep coaching intensive and completed right before the pandemic. And I just learned this whole new way of coaching that really blew my mind. It's, it is an ICF approved program, but it's very different from anything I've ever taken. And so I landed in a place right before the pandemic of going, I don't know if I'm going to integrate this in. I don't know how I'm going to integrate this in. I really feel I shifted greatly through that program. Um, And then and then, of course, none of us are working unless you're working by phone, which I haven't been doing that. Um, I, and I would like to do that more. So, so where I'm at right now is I'm in this place of the great unknown, and I'm so okay. And it's the first time in my life, really, it's the first time where I haven't been going for some goal. I haven't been heading towards something. And... Um, I just really trust that it's okay. I'm, I'm not afraid. I mean, I'm fortunate or in a position where I don't need to be afraid, you know, but um, I'm not trying to force myself to have a goal. Like normally in the past, if I found myself here, I'd be hiring a coach and thinking, you know, I need to know where I'm going and I need to, and I just like, I have done that for, for my whole life. So here I am, I know things work out and I'm doing more of my artistic things. I'm weaving and, doodling and taking art classes and stuff and I'm I'm just um and I don't I'm thinking that I'm not going to even think about it until September that's just where I'm at and I don't know what form my coaching will take I know I was very affected by the deep coaching course it's called a shift in being and um the work of this person is pretty cool and it helped me um and this will be the last thing I say because I know we're getting long in the tooth here but what I did with the principles was I started to bypass my emotions. Um, I just, be, probably because I can do that, you know, and I had challenging things over the last six years and I felt like, 
oh, that's just my thinking. Oh, you know you're feeling your thinking. I have that up on my bulletin board, you know. And I got to where I really couldn't be with people's pain and I couldn't be with my own. And I knew that was a problem. And I took this course not just to get the ICF credits, but I knew I needed to deepen my capacity to be with people in suffering, even knowing that their suffering might be coming from within. And so I'm a little bit in that paradox of how do you have this understanding while being able to be with people exactly where they are, which I really value. So I think that's the other part of it. And um, I don't know where I'm going to land. Maybe there's someone out there in podcast land that has some ideas, but I, I don't even like right now I'm like, no, like leave me alone. <laughs> this is like, I don't know. She's in the nest or the cocoon or the cauldron, who knows what I'll come out as, but it just feels like I don't want to mess with it. I don't want to tamper with it. Beautiful. Love it. That's Nikki, all. Really, I, I'm just filled with gratitude. It's been an absolutely wonderful conversation. I've got loads from this conversation, by the way. I've oh, got- good. I'm glad because I really, all my mental, you know, recyclable goods came up. <laughs> like, oh my God, I don't have anything to offer. What am I going to tell oh these people? What, you know, oh my all that sir. stuff. And then I was just like, you know what? Phil can, he doesn't have to share it if it's bad. <laughs> but I, I appreciate it. It's, yeah, I mean, I do, it's a long time, 20 years. It's, mm-hmm. And so I, I want to yes. be able to just share, in, you know, whatever I can with people. I have conversations with some of the younger coaches, and I, I love sharing, and I'm not trying to coach them. I'll just share, you know, what, what I, even processes I use or things. So, um, Thank you. And, 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 I, I and as I'll suggest to other coaches, you know, give people an opportunity to experience you without you being there. That's a wonderful thing to do for you, for your business and, and for them. And you've, you've certainly done that. There's so much. So yes, Nikki, thank you very much indeed for being with me today. Thank you too. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Nikki. Wow. 20 years, two decades in this profession and her assuredness, her groundedness, just all of that wealth of wisdom and experience that really shines through. There's so much in this episode uh, for for other coaches, um, particularly if you're interested in working in organizations. It's, it was just really beautiful chatting to Nikki about all of that. I'd love to hear from you as always, what you've got from this conversation and how you will use that. Please get in touch and uh, maybe we can explore together how you will create your prosperous coaching life. If you're enjoying these episodes, and I think here we are at what, episode 75? Wow, um, took a little longer to get here than uh, originally (laughs) it looked like it would, but here we are, episode 75. I'm I'm, uh, very pleased about that. If you're enjoying these conversations, please take a minute or two to leave a review on Apple Podcasts so that other people like you can find these conversations too. Okay, looking forward to the next conversation, looking forward to getting more of these out to you for you to enjoy. In the meantime, I wish you much love and joy.